welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. We are so happy that you guys are still listening, and my, have we grown, Oh which my we gosh. will get into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I am your host, Jordan Porter, joined by the wonderful, beautiful Yvonne Brandenburg. <laughs> oh my God. I'm oh, in such hi. a good mood today. <laughs> That's because you just came back from a conference that I am super jealous about, but we'll get into that in just a second. Yes. It was a a fun whirlwind two days. Oh my God. Crazy. (laughs) But yeah, so we we have a lot to catch up on before we actually like start this episode. Yeah. Yeah. We, (laughs) yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I took a look at our stats before we started recording and we've hit 2000 downloads. Did we officially hit 2000? We did. Holy moly. Thank you guys so much, by the way, because that would not be possible without everyone that's listening. And my brain is kind of exploding that every week new people find us, which is pretty awesome. And I know. Last uh, week was probably the biggest week we had because like just on our normal like Tuesday day, we had almost a hundred downloads in one day, which was like amazing. I think that was one of our biggest days so far, which is crazy. And it just keeps growing every week, which I don't know it in between that and how much engagement we're getting in like the Facebook group and everything. It really, to me, it means that you guys like the show and you kind of are getting stuff out of it (laughs) and you like us, you don't want to just turn us off right away, which is awesome. (laughs) So we do appreciate it. And we love you guys so much because it just It makes me happy that people actually care about what we say. Yeah, right? We're getting the word out. (laughs) Yeah. Like people actually want to learn from us. It's mind blowing. Yes. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that we, we actually got the most engagement with was the question of the week for episode 13. So that was the diagnosing or working up the GI patient. And basically our question was, have you ever participated in endoscopy procedures? What's your favorite part? And then if not, you know, would you want to? So we got some great, great comments in our, the Facebook podcast group. And so Cassie Ward said that she just saw aspergillosis on rhinoscopy, which is fun. Yeah. We I've seen, I've definitely seen a couple of them and it's crazy when you see like white fungal plaques in the nose. Yeah. And you're like, that is what it is. And you just know, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Kinda, it's like cotton up the nose. Yeah. Oh, kinda, it kind of cool. sucks for the animals, but at least you know what's going on, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you can yeah. usually fix it. Yeah. And I think she said that they did a CT scan and they were going to, um, they were going to do trephination. I think, yeah. They right? were going to do yeah. the trephination and the, which that procedure disgusts me a little. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it. I'm sure in an episode at some point, cause it is very, very unique procedure to do. Lisa Price said endoscopic foreign bodies was the most rewarding and um, placing stints was the most impactful depending on the situation, which is pretty cool. I've never placed a stint, but I know she kind of agreed with the whole 
endoscopic foreign bodies being like a love-hate relationship. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, a stent I, I'm would actually, be cool. Yeah, stents, it it depends on what you're stenting. Um, yeah. I've done a couple <laughs> of uh tracheal stents and they freak me out every single time because you're in the airway. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> a bronchoscopy. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but bronchoscopy, you get out and you take everything with you. Yeah, versus, that's true. <laughs> versus a tracheal stent. You're leaving something behind in the trachea, which just freaks me out. And like the placement, like it's permanent. You don't get to deploy it and then take it away and then put a new one in. Like once it's deployed, the stent is deployed in the trachea. That's it. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then I've seen different stents, like urethral uh, stents. And we've definitely had some of those. Those are usually done with surgery, but we've, mm -hmm. um, or excuse me, the ureteral ones are, but the urethra ones we've done. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then Sunette Bales said that she's looking forward to seeing endoscopic procedures because I believe she said that she's starting in a specialty practice here yeah, soon. Yeah, which is really cool. Like, congrats. Let us know how that goes. I'm yes, sure we're super cool excited stuff. for you. Plus, she's always so engaging. Like, she always leaves us like, she's always the one to like first comment. I like her. Yeah. Thanks, Sunette. <laughs> Thanks, Sunette. <laughs> <laughs> I hope at some point we get to meet her like at a conference. Right? Yes. Sunette, let us know what conferences you plan on going to and we'll try to find you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of conferences, and we kind of mentioned it a little bit here. So I'm really jealous because Jordan just went to VMX. She literally just got home an, yeah, hour, like an hour ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> an hour ago. And oh my God, I'm so jealous, but I'm going to let her give you, give you an update on her fun shenanigans in Florida. <laughs> this weekend it was a very quick two days so the conference is still going on i believe it ends on wednesday oh wow okay anyway i go for the weekend usually every year because i got the tattoo so now i go for free which i don't regret that tattoo because i get to okay, to okay. A conference for free <laughs> first of all you can't just throw that out there and not explain what you mean by that <laughs> there was a competition at back when it was still called the nabc conference so this was in 2017 that they had where they said first 17 people to sign up to get our logo gets free registration to the conference for the rest of their life. <laughs> so I was like, yes, please. So I woke up early. I went down to the convention center and I was like, give me a piece of paper. And I signed up for it. And my friend who I worked with at the time, Jamie McGee, um, she also got the tattoo. So we got it together. So every year we, we try to go together. Um, so I met up with her. So yeah, yeah I have, yeah. So Jordan has a veterinary conference logo tattooed on her so she can get into the conference for free for life, which. Yeah. So it's the NABC logo. So it's not the VMX logo because they changed the name and everybody's like, why would you do that if you make someone like get it tattooed on you? But it's still like under the NABC, like it's still the corporation. But plus, like, who cares? I go for free. <laughs> like, yeah. So pretty even though I do like the VMX logo way better. Anyway, but. So I went down for, I was down there Friday, Saturday, and half the day Sunday, basically. Um, so what did I do? I got in on Friday. <clears throat> I didn't do anything Friday. Actually, I just checked into my hotel. So Saturday morning, though, I got up pretty early, went and saw David Liss. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Yes. His lectures were very good. A lot of the lectures that I went to were just like about technician utilization and like and then I went and I listened to the update on the veterinary nurse initiative with Ken Yagi. And I mm. met Ken. I kind of like. Did you stop my way in? Nice. I didn't stalk him. He appeared in front of me. 
<laughs> when I was waiting to go in. <laughs> and then I was like, Ken Yagi, hey, I'm Jordan. I met you a couple years ago, like several, probably three or four years ago. And I went to your like blood transfusion. I had totally like fangirl. So I was like, I went to your blood transfusion nice. lecture. You made me really like fall in love with transfusion medicine. And I was like, and then after that, I pursued my BTS and I got it. And it was amazing. Like you were just like that step that I was like, holy crap, like all this stuff is super cool. Nice. And so, yeah, I fangirled over him for a minute. And I mean, he told me he appreciated it. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, I think he's, he's probably just being nice. Such a super nice guy. He's, yeah. He's he's one of the people I want to be like when I grow up. Yes. Um, he was so, he's, and he was giving me really updates cool. on like the blood banks in California oh, and like nice. all the legislation that's going on there. And wow. so, yes, he gave a very good lecture, of course, cause he always does. Yes. And then I went and saw some other cool VTSs like Kara Burns. Yeah. Um, and there's like, I just, I listened to a panel about obtaining your VTSs and other certifications you can get. Nice. It was just, it was really cool because all of the lectures I went to were so like, informative but then like fun nice nice and then probably like my highlight of my quick whirlwind weekend was meeting vet tech kelsey oh so. <laughs> i'm so jealous you guys got to hang out i saw your pictures and i was like <laughs> i want to be there right now which i also kind of stalked her too and i was like I'm so sorry i don't know how to not be weird so <laughs> like, oh my god i apologize kelsey but you are wonderful and she's beautiful and nice and sweet and like funny and we watched um, a lecture given by Dr. Andy Rourke together. Oh, nice. And yeah. So, and which he was amazing too. And he's like super funny as well. Yeah. He's really good. I've, I've, I haven't seen him in person, but um, I've seen a bunch of his first, stuff online. So, yeah. That was the first like actual lecture I've gone to. And like I said, mm. he was super, he was super great. And I may or may not have pulled out, like he was talking about tech util utilization and stuff too. So I was like, but a lot of it was like communication. And I was like, I'm totally giving a lecture on this in a couple months. Awesome. Nice. So, <laughs> steal some information. Let's incorporate that. That's yeah. Awesome. It just, it went in my brain that like, he said some really good things and I was like, which I was, it was actually like, it was one of those things where I was like, dude, I totally wrote about that in my lecture. So hearing him say, I was like, yes. Yeah. And like, actually to kind of go along with that, I, did you listen to the newest, um, Bet tech cafe with Liza? I love her. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, if you haven't listened whew. to that one, that was awesome because they were also talking about tech utilization. Um, they, they talked about the article that was written and it just kind of showed mm -hmm. how doctors don't really know what technicians can do, which is very true. So I yeah. remember reading that article, um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes about how to, they were basically comparing, like if we were to have something similar to like a nurse practitioner. Yes, exactly. In our, in our thing. And I was like, well, that's kind of what a VTS is. Right. So, um, except for, you know, the prescribing thing. And so it was, it was interesting, but they talked about it there. And I think tech utilization, I think that's going to be a big, big talking point. Because, yeah. It seems like a huge topic at VMX this year. Like it yeah. was everywhere. I mean, it really, it really is about job satisfaction, keeping techs, you know, in our profession, as well as, you know, when we're talking about you know, we don't really talk about this very much, but you know, like in vet tech cafe, they talk about it is, you know, the not one more vet or not one more vet staff, you know, mm -hmm. support yeah. staff it, feeling like you make a difference and are appreciated in your job is huge. And so I think, I think there's just going to be a lot of stuff that comes out on it, which 
it's really cool. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it was a, it was a very quick two days, but I got a lot of information in, in two days. I gave out some of our buttons and I wore my, um, I'm a nerd shirt and people really loved it. And yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I know it's so funny. Cause both Jordan and I, I'm, I'm wearing my, I'm a nerd shirt right now as we're recording, which is kind I'm of wearing fun. my podcast hoodie. Woo, woo, podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have if you have no idea what we're talking about right now we launched our um we call it the podcast swag store woo, woo. So, <laughs> so it's it's live you can if you it, there's a couple of things in there so we have t-shirts that have our logo so the podcast logo we have one that's um I don't know. It's kind of one of my favorites. It's, it's the dorky puppy. So it's like a puppy with glasses. I love that one. And it says hashtag I am a nerd and it's, I am is like internal medicine. So, you know, because we're we're funny. (laughs) (laughs) We're so, we're so clever like that. Um, and then the other one that's in there is the vet tech superhero shirt. Um, which that one's super important. I love that one. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that one's kind of near and dear to our hearts. So we decided that one of the things that we wanted to do is to be able to donate to a worthy cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we created the Vet Tech Superhero shirt. And um, for every shirt that is purchased, we're gonna donate $5 from that shirt to a deserving organization. And we chose this time um, we'll have to see for how long we're going to do this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, we chose Vets Beyond Borders, which is an Australian based organization that um, helps animals in need around the world. But especially right now, because they are Australian based, we figured they would be a good organization to help kind of support because they're, you know, everybody knows what's happening in Australia yeah. right now with the wildfires. And I, I believe the f- wildfires are better. Yes, but but there's still so a lot of many, sick animals. Yeah, so many of the which, animals are needing care, and which and if I've you've never seen with, a smoke inhalation like those last like weeks. Like I've seen one. Yeah, that I was, cat I, couldn't walk for weeks. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and it's crazy because I because I volunteer with California Medical Veterinary yeah. Medical Reserve Corps, and so when we had that giant fire up in Paradise, California. Um, I went up there and seeing the burns on these animals, it just requires a lot of tech time and, you know, vets as well. And so I, you know, we know it's going to be, it's going to be rough for them for a while. And so we figured we can make a little bit of a difference. And so we have our vet tech superhero, which is also super cute. It is super Um, cute. And then cute little cat with a cape. (laughs) Yeah. Adorable. if you guys um, want to check it out, we'll put the link in the, the show notes. The The main store, if you go to imfpp.org slash store, you'll see kind of everything that we have so far. And we'll be adding things as we go. But if you specifically want to look at the Vet Tech Superhero shirt, it is imfpp.org slash Vet Tech Superhero shirt. Um, so it's just, it's all, all together, no spaces. Um, and you can check that out and see. And and we made it a variety of sizes because we know we we have techs of all sizes. Yes. Um, but it's just something to keep in mind because we want to help support. Yeah, if we can't physically help the animals, we definitely want to try to help in some way. So yeah. this is our way of doing that. So if you guys help us help them, we are super appreciative. But I think, I 
that was quite a quite an update this week. <laughs> yeah, uh. <laughs> I, think, I think that should be enough updating for this week. Um, it's like and... a quarter of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, honestly, you guys, thank you for making it even possible that we can do any of this. Um, and if you get a chance to meet us at one of the conferences, definitely say hello. Please say hello. We're not. <laughs> We're not above saying hi and dorking Definitely out with you. Not, not to mention, um, like, trust me, like the first time I actually get like recognized in person, <laughs> I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna probably cry and oh give someone God. a hug. So. <laughs> so yeah, if you want that landmark in our <laughs> to be the first person, definitely say hi. Um, yes. And then we have our pins and stuff that we like to give out. It. <laughs> if if you see us in person, ask. We probably have someone on us at, at oh, any moment in time. So definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is kind of all we needed to discuss, but let's dive into intestinal lymphoma. Sounds good. Here we go. So this week we are going to be discussing intestinal lymphoma. So (laughs) we are talking gastrointestinal lymphoma, also called alimentary lymphoma, lymphosarcoma, or malignant lymphoma. Seriously? If you didn't. It's all the, all the same thing. Uh Uh-huh. That's crazy. I mean, I guess Which it makes I, sense. Yeah, but I think the, I think all the others are more like lymphoma anywhere <laughs> versus uh, just gastrointestinal lymphoma. Well, I think aliment like the alimentary canal. So I yeah. think that's GI specifically. But then, yeah, you're right. Lymphosarcoma, malignant lymphoma. I mean, those are going to be. I could be probably like the lymphoma. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, so the definition of this disease, I have so many things written down because there's so much to talk about. Systemic. I was going to say we're, we're diving into (laughs) onco here and, uh, we're not onco or small animal internal medicine, but But we diagnose a lot of this. I was going to say we diagnose so many of them. And then half the time we're working with the oncology team Mm -hmm. managing these kids. So yeah, you're managing the ones that like don't want to see oncology, even though we're still mm. treating it. <laughs> like so true. So I'm in this yeah. episode, we're not gonna dive too much into like the treatment of it because that is oncology realm. And I honestly don't know a ton about like all the chemotherapy drugs out there. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, there's right. other important people who do that, and that is not me. Right. So <laughs> but this is a systemic malignant neoplasm of the lymphoid origin. AKA lymphoma. Yeah. And we, we did talk, touch about that a little bit in that, in the first, um, the first GI episode that we just mm-hmm. did in the series where we talked about your immune system and IG. A. A. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. which one was IGA? <laughs> and so, I mean, it makes sense if, if we've got a lot of immune system protecting our body in our GI tract that, you know, our, our, that, that cancer can definitely attack that because, you know, our lymph nodes are kind of the yeah. garbage dump places. Yeah. And, and lymphoma can occur in so many different locations, but we are going to kind yeah. of focus, we're going to skim over all the other locations and focus on GI lymphoma. So it is the most common hematopoietic malignancy in cats and dogs, which I found actually mm. pretty interesting, but I suppose not too surprising. Like I remember how much what I would call like normal lymphoma I saw in general practice where it just 
<laughs> like affected the lymph yeah, nodes. Yeah, I was gonna say the lymph nodes and then your spleen. Yeah, like, and we saw spleen like, and liver. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and we saw like cutaneous lymphoma and and anyway, we're we're getting to that, but it is the most common malignancy. Um, so these can this can be malignant tumors of, of lymphoid cell origin and can arise at any location, kind of like we were just talking about, within the GI tract, including stomach, small intestines, colon, or rectum. So GI tract. Mm. And the lesions can be of B type, T type, or large granular granular lymphocyte subtype. And distinction is pretty important prognostically. And if you go yeah. back, which we'll have to do an episode, like I'll just cells and like good old like <laughs> basic hematology yeah <laughs> where we actually Ooh. talk about b cells and t cells and things just yeah. so then we can refer back to this episode because that does play an important in, important role and if you kind of remember hematology like you have two different types of lymphocytes b and t cells but again we'll we'll, we'll have to do a whole episode on just like white blood cells do we go down that rabbit hole is the question. I mean, we could. Hopefully our podcast I, will be around for like ever. <laughs> so we'll just be like, well, we'll be like, what's the next subject we're tackling? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and lymphoma can affect the entire lymphatic system. So involving lymph nodes, which is what I was kind of calling the typical lymphoma um, and lymphoid cells throughout the, the body. So when the disease centers on a pet's lymph nodes, those deep within the body, as as well as the peripheral lymph nodes. So the ones that you're, you learn in tech school where it's your submandibular, your prescapulars, your axillaries, your popliteals. Those are the ones that I always like kind of commonly thought of. And then when that disease centers around those, that's termed multicentric. And then it's also, it can also be called mediastinal lymphoma, which is typically found in the chest cavity. But a third category elementary lymphoma affects the gastrointestinal tract. So I know you and I probably see a lot of like gastrointestinal lymphoma, but we see a lot of multicentric lymphoma too. So that's when like mm-hmm. lymphoma involves multiple lymph nodes. It may also affect the spleen and the liver and the bone marrow. So remember whatever episode that was where I said I had a really cool story, but it kind of sucks for the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which actually I had another case come back today, positive for lymphoma, which is really sad because the dog actually ended up having perforated bowel. Anyway, yeah, that dog had lymphoma. The one from today had lymphoma in the liver and the GI tract and Mm. had a perforated bowel. And then the one from a couple weeks ago, we did liver aspirates, but the dog came in like not walking on the front limbs. Mm. So it was actually pretty interesting. Like the dog was fine, like had GI issues and then was fine. And then all of a sudden just stopped walking and saw us on like a Monday. And so mm-hmm. it's suspected like between like consultations with our neurologist and, and stuff that once we got the lymphoma confirmation on our cytology, that it was suspected that the lymphoma had spread to like the spine, like the cervical spine. Ooh. Cause like the dog could move the back legs, but couldn't feel anything in the front legs and just, just couldn't walk. Came in to see oncology yeah. and like they wanted to do an MRI, but I think the oncologist kind of told him like how bad of a prognosis that probably is. Yeah. So they ended up leaving without doing anything. So like, again, kind of cool just because I'd never seen anything like that before but it sucks yeah. for the dog and of course like the people are so nice because you know when it's something oh. like that they're always like the nicest people right yeah nice owner nice animal equals worst possible disease possible yeah like yeah but it was interesting because I'd never seen it 
I've never seen it do that. Like I've never seen a dog paralyzed on just the front end. I mean, thankfully, yeah, like I don't that work. That's really. That's crazy. I'm yeah. I don't think I've seen just front end, but I mean, I guess it depends on what you know nerve is. Yeah, it would have been where. it would have been interesting to see. I guess the MR because like the dog was still eating and drinking, mm. and still had like control. <laughs> his head yeah eating and drinking as long as the owners brought food and water to him like he just couldn't walk like if you if you moved mm. like his front limbs were stiff like he just couldn't mm. it was it was interesting hmm. yeah i was gonna say i've definitely gotten lymphoma on like splenic aspirates mm -hmm. liver aspirates for sure when we're doing ultrasounds it's like cats um, with large spleens like <laughs> yeah those large dark spleens you're like oh bone marrow I mean, we, we definitely look for lymphoma or other diseases in the bone marrow. Like if you've got like an IMHA, ITP, mm -hmm. and you do a bone marrow aspirate and a biopsy, we look for that for sure. We've seen the ones too, like where you do like a peripheral blood smear and you just see it and they just have like leukemia in their blood. And then, oh yeah. yeah. So it's like lymphoma of the bone marrow, but you, without all the hassle trying to diagnose, yeah. you just do a simple blood smear. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. It's it's funny because I, I kind of talked about this with a client the other day. I'm like, it's a double-edged sword. All these tests over here are negative, but we still don't know what's causing it. Yeah. You know, it's like, yay, we don't have all these things, but we don't know what you do have, you know, and it's it's kind of the same thing. Hey, Isn't that the story of internal it, medicine? Now you yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that is the story of internal medicine. Yeah, but like on a peripheral smear, when you see like a high mitotic index or yeah. you see, you know, other circulating cells, you're like, yay, I found it. But crap, I found it. You right. You're just like, I, I'm, ba I'm back and forth on that. That's what, it, that's like, it's, or it's a cool case. Like it's a cool blood smear to look at. Like if you, because yeah. you know, like instantly that there's something wrong with it. So it's like, wait a second. And like, so it's just nice yeah. to have a blood smear where you could tell what's happening. Yeah. Like, and it, it, I like, I like grabbing like the slides from mm -hmm. oncology sometimes and just looking at what they're seeing That's because their blood yeah. smears look different or like their aspirates look different. And I, I'm starting, starting to understand what some of like the lymphomas look like. Yeah. Stuff like that, which is, which is good to know that, yeah. not that I hope to be the one to find it, but you know, it does help if you are doing slides like hematology and looking at cytology to, yeah. to know what you're looking at. Like, instead of being like, I don't know, you can be like, oh no, I think it's lymphoma or whatever. You know. Yeah, exactly. Cause a lot of times like we'll look at like smears and we'll be like, well, we think it's this, or we just say like, there's something really wrong with the smear. We should send it off for yeah. pathologist review. <laughs> like, but yeah, and, which and is I mean, nice I, too, because when those come back, you're like, holy crap, the pathologist like said there really is something wrong. Like I know what I'm seeing. Yeah. Kind of like, I don't or, know what yeah, to call it, but I know what I'm seeing. Like, said the same thing that I thought it was, which yeah. is, which is cool. Cause then you're like, I figured it out. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice. Yeah. I, I take pictures yeah. with my microscope, with my phone. I have like, um, I have a little lens adapter thing that I can oh, cool. hook my phone up to and I can actually take pictures and I can record with my phone, which is really cool too. That is cool. Um, but, but you can upload them onto the records. Yeah. We'll have to um, have like story time on cytology and like try to find some pictures and stuff because I found um prototheca once that was really cool we're getting off topic mm -hmm. here but prototheca was really cool to find in urine mm. <laughs> I, I, yeah I'd be like nope I don't know what it is running away 
Yeah. Um, the other thing too, when you were talking about multicentric lymphoma, we had a couple of cases, couple, maybe like less than a handful where it was nasal lymphoma. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, it's like this weird, like you do a rhino and you're like, Oh, oh, oh yeah. Right. Or you see like their third eyelid mm-hmm. it's up, but it's like really swollen and crazy mm-hmm. poofy looking. Um, we've had a couple of those where, where you see it like in the eye or the nose and it's just like, yeah, Ugh. we've had a couple where you can see it. Like if you open their mouth and do like a good oral exam, you can see a bulge in their soft palate and we'll just aspirate that way and like save them. With lymphoma? Yeah. We've done it only a handful times just because of like, because we could, we saved people like money on the rhinoscopy. Yeah. We've had a lot of like really oh. bad carcinomas come back that way. Like those ones where we do the CT and we're like, yeah. we probably shouldn't flush water up there. And yeah. <laughs> like, don't go in there. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll try to do aspirates like that way, but which sucks for the dog. But again, those are like kind of cool cases to be a part of just to see how things present so differently, I think is what's interesting. Yeah. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but in, in my hospital, if it doesn't have a diagnosis of cancer yet, they usually come through us first. Exactly. (laughs) And then we're like, found the cancer yours. Yeah. (laughs) We, we have a lot of cases come in where it's like suspect lymphoma. Yeah. But we haven't diagnosed it yet. So they send it to us to diagnose it. And I'm like, but the oncologist can do this too. But we we see it and we saw one today, a cat. Yeah. And yep. so I yeah, we see a lot <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah. Um unfortunately. I know. It's it's sad, but like again, they're cool because they present so many different ways. Yes. Yeah. And that and I think that's frustrating for like referring veterinarians. Oh, definitely. Because they like, you know, they have their spidey senses, right? Yeah. And they're like, something's wrong, but I can't find it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it, it takes a little bit to either find it or it takes a while for it to like reveal itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a bummer because sometimes they feel bad before we can find it. And then it almost seems like overnight, it kind of just like explodes. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a lot of it presents a lot of what we see presents like IBD style but mm-hmm. which we'll, yeah. we'll get into like how it presents and the questions you should ask in our typical like history questions. Um, exactly. <laughs> but first let's talk anatomy and physiology a little bit. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> Ready? Yes. So lymphocytes that we talked about were B cells and T cells a little bit. So just a very brief overview on lymphocytes. So B cells produce antibodies so that the body can attack invading organisms like viruses, bacteria, or toxins. And then T cells break down and attack body cells that are labeled as infected either by viruses or cancer. Yeah, I I think to me it makes sense in this in in so far as you're in, especially when we're talking about intestinal lymphoma, right? Mm-hmm. It, it the helper cells. This is breaking down the body cells that are labeled as infected right Mm -hmm. so the cells mutate or they get infected and we don't want those spreading so the t-cells help clean those up which means that they potentially can get you know have problems so it it makes sense that those are going to be the ones that you know t-cell lymphoma kind of thing yeah and i think so when we kind of talk about like intestinal or multicentric lymphoma like i know in gp like i just i thought of the basic lymph nodes that we see 
on our anatomy and physiology dogs that we have in our books. But we right. got to remember that the circulation of lymph fluid is achieved like throughout the entire body um, by mm -hmm. little tiny interlaced ducts and vessels that like connect with specialized collections of tissue called lymph nodes. Um, <laughs> and these lymph nodes are situated either deeply within a pet's body. So the ones that we see like on ultrasound that are enlarged, which we'll get to, um, are just kind of all within the abdomen and then also in the chest because we see those mediastinal lymph nodes, which side note on x-ray, they look like a bundle of grapes and it's actually pretty interesting too when they're very enlarged, but to the surface mm -hmm. of the body, which is like the neck, the groin behind the knees are typical, like what we learn to palpate in tech school. Yeah. Like your submandibular. I, to me, the classic like lymphoma dog is like the sub lymph, yeah, exactly. uh, submandibular lymph nodes that are giant. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the ones that I always go, Ooh, I know. Or like the popliteals or those are the ones that we've seen coming through us and we're like, no, <laughs> like you can just go like, straight to oncology. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do not pass go. But yeah, the, the, so included among the functions performed by lymph fluid, the purpose of it is to deliver oxygen and nutrients to cells, collection of metabolic waste products and absorption of fat from the intestinal tract and removal of tissue debris, such as like bacteria, hmm. viruses, and other infectious agents from the body. So your lymph nodes are working throughout literally your entire body to try to just protect it from things. It is a very important source. Um, and then when we kind of talk about the GI lymph nodes, it's, it's called GALT, G-A-L-T, so gut-associated lymphoid tissue. I know we learned about that prior to taking my VTS test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen it multiple times and I'm like, what is it again? Yeah. Gut associated lymphoid tissue. I'm, I probably re won't remember that no, definitely very not. long, but, but it, it is somewhere in the recesses of my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, lymphatic ducts and then the lymph, lymph nodes, those are the things that we're seeing. I see, I, th I think for ultrasound, right. Mm -hmm. We, especially cats, not only are we measuring like the thickness of intestines, but mm -hmm. we're looking for those lymph nodes that are throughout the mesentery. And yeah. um, sometimes that's what we're aspirating. Oh, definitely. Because yeah. you know, that's what we can see and we can get to instead of doing endoscopy, which we- And they're noticeably big. We talked about big. endoscopy 13. Episode 13. Yeah. And, and I mean, those intestinal lymph nodes are noticeably big. They're like two to yeah. three times the normal size. Like on ultrasound, you really shouldn't notice them. <laughs> like, yeah, I was gonna say, I think in normal ultrasounds, they just blend into like the mesentery. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, you can kind of see them, but, but they don't stand out. Once they start standing out, you're like, Ooh. And then okay, especially when you see multiples, on. you're like, now I know in yeah. like puppies and kittens and stuff, it can be normal for them mm -hmm. to be like a little big. So those ones aren't ones that you want to be like, Oh, that's super abnormal. That can definitely be normal. But when we're seeing it, it's, it's, it can affect dogs and cats, like we already said. And patients tend to be middle-aged to older. And turns out feline leukemia-positive cats tend to actually be more susceptible to developing lymphoma. Mm. And then... I mean, it makes sense because it's messing with the immune system. So yeah, exactly. Totally makes sense. Which the incident of that actually has like decreased since the feline leukemia vaccine has been developed and since more cats have become mm. vaccinated for it, but mm. it is still noted more in feline leukemia positive cats. And then of course you still have your, to me, like the list of dogs on, on this list is like <laughs> classic cancer dogs. 
except for <laughs> I can't believe Golden Retrievers is listed like third. So Boxers, Sharpays, Golden Retrievers, Springer Spaniels, Dobermans, Labs, and German Shepherds are, are all high on the list for developing lymphoma. And then um, yep. the genera- generalized peripheral lymphadenopathy, so those like super large submandibular lymph nodes, that tends to be more common in dogs and rare in cats with lymphoma. So, and I've seen it where- I don't know if I've ever seen a cat with like peripheral lymphoma. I don't think I've, I think I've seen one cat with like cutaneous lymphoma and I don't think I've ever seen a cat with peripheral lymphoma. uh, lymphoma. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I have either. No, I've always seen like boxers Hmm. and goldens with it. (laughs) (laughs) All the goldens, all the boxers. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because I see a ton of, um, well, and maybe it's because they're classified as pit bulls, but they're not, I mean, technically that's not a specific breed. Mm-hmm. So the bully breeds, yeah. right? I see a, I see a ton of uh, pitties come in with, with lymphoma. That's true. That's true. So I wonder, I wonder if they're, because it's not technically a specific breed, I wonder if that's why maybe they didn't quite hit the list. Interesting. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I think, Yeah. And then all under the boxers. Yeah, right. Poor boxers. It's funny too because I, I do make the joke that our oncologist owns golden retrievers, and I'm like, did you know that before you right? became an oncologist? Aww. And I was like, but that's like his breed. And then like his receptionist owns boxers, and I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like keeping yourselves in business? Like they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I don't understand. Um, but. So chronic IBD can also predispose patients. So kind of like we briefly said that it presents as IBD when we're dealing with intestinal lymphoma. So chronic IBD, and I think there wasn't really much like background on this, but I have to assume it has to just do with like constant like inflammation. <laughs> like, inflammation. Yeah, I I wonder, I mean, I feel like the GI lymphoma IBD cat thing. I feel like there's probably more studies that are being done on it Definitely. right now. Definitely. Um, that are trying to see how to prevent it from switching because so many cats that have chronic IBD for years, by the time they get to like, you know, the there's that magical window mm-hmm. of we always say the magical window for cats is between seven and nine mm-hmm. and then twelve to fifteen. Definitely. Like the, that's usually the, the ages that we see GI lymphoma just all of a sudden pop up. Yeah. And it's interesting. And it'd be interesting to see, I, like I said, I'm sure there's studies going on to see the correlation and see if, you know, getting the IBD under control sooner rather than later. Like would yeah, make a difference. If that helps. Yeah. yeah. That'd be interesting. I also found this next tidbit of information actually super interesting because people mm. we've, come across like asthma cats that we've said like well you smoke and like that can be an issue to your asthma cat anyway so environmental like cigarette smoke can actually predispose cats and dogs to lymphoma which i found crazy but i suppose it shouldn't be because (laughs) right cigarette smoke and then also like like, exposure to some like pesticides and herbicides and stuff like that and then which i mean I, i i don't know how accurate this is but if you um the again 
this is my disclaimer. I don't know how accurate this <laughs> is, but the whole um, roundup and oh, lymphoma yeah. and people. Uh, yeah. Like it, it, I'm sure if, if it is, you know, that, that there is human lymphoma from that when we're talking about pesticides and, and herbicides and stuff like that, I'm sure there's probably a component of that with some of these cats because they just go, if they go outside, they're going to go walk through the grass. And it's not like people say, Hey cats, stay off this area that I just sprayed. Yeah. I'm um, trying to kill my weeds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I bet you that's probably true. And then underlying immune disorders. So feline, feline mm. leukemia, um, underlying mm. immune, anything can probably lead to anything. <laughs> so, yeah. And then involvement of bone marrow or the central nervous system or CNS, kidney, heart, tonsils, pancreas, and eyes can be seen, but is less common. I think I've seen maybe one or two other CNS ones, but not front leg. <laughs> yeah. It, it would have been interesting to see if they would have done like more diagnostics. I think mm. they were really gung-ho, but then when like put into perspective of like, okay, but you already kind of know. And I think if they would have had all the money in the world, they probably would have, but and then, right. um, so like we said, our GI signs that we see a lot in our practices, so including anorexia, vomiting, diarrhea, low protein, weight loss, well, weight loss sec secondary to malabsorption and maldigestion. So like their bowels mm -hmm. just aren't working like they're supposed to. So they do have that weight loss, even mm -hmm. though they're eating, but they're just not absorbing the nutrients that they need. And this is, you know, again, we'll harp on it, is getting a thorough history on these kids. Mm -hmm to see, you know, what other diseases have they had in their lifetime? Do they have any of these, you know, different things going on an immune disorder? You know, we, we talk about, you know, immune mediated diseases. One of the big things when we're working up immune mediated diseases is checking to see if they have underlying cancer mm -hmm. and lymphoma is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, this is, is a little bit of a chicken and an egg, you know, yeah, right? like what came first. Yeah. I don't, cause I don't know if you, if you guys talk to your clients about, um, like, let's say you've got an IMHA or ITP and you're starting them on atopica or cyclosporin mm -hmm. and you say, Oh, it's possible it causes cancer. And you're like, does it cause cancer or does it just like unmask the cancer, yeah, exactly. you know, and it's, it's one of those, we don't fully know yet. Does, does suppressing the immune system just pop out the cancer? And then they're like, Oh, there it is. Or does the cancer cause the immune problem? Yeah. Or do the drugs cause the cancer? So it's, it's hard because there isn't always just one answer to that question. So, yeah. Um, it's something to keep in mind when we're getting histories on patients. Yeah, definitely. Because like, I, again, we have those chronic IBD patients that I know we see, but we'll like turf back to the regular vet and like, they do great for like mm -hmm. two years. And then all of a sudden, like their meds aren't helping anymore. And all their GI signs came back despite yeah. trying to adjust and things. And like, they should be seen for recheck ultrasound just to see what their lymph nodes look like. Um, and yeah. your differential list, I left this one short and sweet because it's the same as kind of all of our GI, GI stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like gastritis, colitis, pancreatitis, all the itises, foreign bodies, <laughs> constipation can be seen, which I have seen because cats or dogs are straining mm. to poop. Um, and parents think that they're constipated, but really they just have such large lymph nodes in like near mm -hmm. their like 
colon that they just mm-hmm. can't force their stool out. So sometimes people will say, which again, get a thorough history and try to get details because people will say that they're pooping out like ribbons of poop because mm. they're like straining and like they don't have, like their lymph nodes are pressing so hard that they, they can't get a form stool they out. They get the, the toothpaste yeah. poop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, which again, yeah. pictures, I guess, um, are always helpful because I remember the first time I heard someone say, well, it kind of looks like a ribbon. I'm like, what? <laughs> huh. I mean, that make, it totally makes sense because there's, there's lymph nodes there. Mm-hmm. And then if, if it's compressing it enough that you can't poop around it, we had, um, we had one recently, we did a colonoscopy on because it was just one mass and, uh, it, most of the times the cat could poop normally, mm-hmm. but there were definitely sometimes, and we think it was because the stool was harder, mm-hmm. where he would like just cry out and scream out in pain uh-huh. because he was trying to poop, but he couldn't get past it. And then there'd be blood on it. And so we, we found the mass when we went in, but um, we're like, oh, okay. It's not just regular constipation. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, there's something, there's something obstructing, but it's not poop. <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other, the other end of that, good job the middle and middle part of that because not the other end but the middle part for cats um i've actually seen a couple where they get a hairball obstruction oh yeah and it's because the hairball is like sitting up against like some lymph nodes that have made the intestinal tract much smaller Mm -hmm. so yeah they're obstructed with a hairball but it's because they had lymphoma Mm -hmm. and you go in and you're like oh right yeah i've i've seen that with not so much i haven't seen it as much with practices that have ultrasounds because a lot of times you could see yeah but i've seen it where a practice doesn't have ultrasound Mm -hmm. and maybe they do like barium and they're like oh there's an obstructive pattern there or you know they go in and do an explore and they find that so i've seen the the hairball obstruction foreign body yeah that you're like, oh, it's because the lymph nodes are giant. So things aren't passing through yeah. the way that they should. Yeah. And I put hyperthyroidism on the differential list too, just because sometimes we will see those patients just ravenously eating, but still losing weight and losing muscle mass. Um, right. Because right. again, of the malabsorption and maldigestion, they're just, their guts aren't working well enough to really absorb what they need. Mm-hmm. And then metastatic, so diagnostics, we'll kind of lead into, we do our baseline lab work. Like we're going to say every episode. <laughs> so your CBC chemistry, electrolytes and a urinalysis. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and a T4 because we talked about hyperthyroidism. Okay. And a T4. I like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you can see some elevated liver enzymes and this can be due to just metastatic disease to the liver. Mm-hmm. So those that can elevate liver enzymes and also cause like biliary obstructive disorders too Mm, yeah that makes sense because you know there's not a lot of room especially in a cat's abdomen there's not a lot of room so when things get swollen and it's multiple things (laughs) like cats guts get really pissed off (laughs) like yeah and so in turn their gallbladder can get mad too and then after your baseline so we like to do after your baseline lab work we i think i guess depending on what symptoms are being exhibited. I know a lot of people don't just jump right to chest films, but we do because we see a lot of cancer. 
I think we start with ultrasound first to see what's there. And if we see crazy things and they want to do some sort of an anesthetic procedure, then we'll do chest films just to make sure that there's not something. I think but, um, when there's like a respiratory component, then yes, chest films should definitely be done first. Oh, because like sure. if there's mesenteric yeah. lymph nodes, like you can see that on chest films. I'm going to make a little side note because I like three view chest films. When I say three view, same. I mean, yep. we do right, <laughs> left, lateral and a VD. Yes, exactly. It matters. My, my doctor does it. Yeah. <laughs> we just know if she wants chest. Films, yeah. We do three view. Three view. Exactly. Yeah. And, and no... we usually send it out to the radiologist for a consult. And that's what we do too. Like, unless <laughs> it's like obviously metastasized yeah. to the chest, like then we're just like, we're just going to save your money. Go spend time with your loved one. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, we'll start with ultrasound. And so on ultrasound, you can see so many different things. So I know you, we kind of talked on all of the things that we can see. So enlarged liver, enlarged spleen, sometimes you can see lesions and, and things will look abnormal within the liver and the spleen. I don't know how to better mm. describe it other than like, sometimes it can be modeled. Modeled. It's like a different texture yeah. and echogenicity. So we say like the deep, dark mm -hmm. hole. So hypoechoic, so not as much reflection back to you of the, of the ultrasound waves, it, but it's just, it looks mm -hmm. different and, and it's usually bigger. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the other part that you'll see. The GI tract itself can be thicker. So I know we talked about it in the like gastrointestinal workup episode that like when we do our ultrasounds, we can measure the thickness of the, the wall layers of the GI tract. Same mm -hmm. thing. It can be thickened. And then of course, like we said, the lymph nodes, like the abdominal lymph nodes are huge, like noticeably big. can be, yeah. And then sometimes there's just like a mass. Yeah. I was going to say, we've seen it a couple of things where first it's like you see a bunch of big lymph nodes mm -hmm. right at mm -hmm. the ileocecocolic junction mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, uh oh. Um, so we'll, we'll see it there. That's a pretty common place. And then just generalize through the mesentery. And the other thing I've seen too is kidney lymphoma. Yeah, which is actually, so yeah. renal lymphoma is super common in yep. cats. I haven't seen it yeah. in dogs too much, but it can cause like, I'm certain I'll have an episode on this because um, it can cause like ureteral obstructions as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be, those are interesting like cytologies because you do a fine needle aspirate or an FNA of a kidney. Not my doctor's. Nope. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They don't do it. <laughs> nope. But you can also do a true cut and they don't do that either. They're chickens. My doctors don't do true cuts mm. either. But yeah. So yeah, cats are prone to getting, I think renal lymphoma is the most common like urinary cancer in cats. Like mm, I'll have to, yeah, I can, I can see that. Like, I think it's TCC for dogs and renal lymphoma for cats. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see the study on that one. Yeah. I'd be anyway, but yeah, sometimes too, you can see like a true, like intestinal mass, which those ones are sad and sometimes they're obstructive. Sometimes they're not. We'll I'll get into that a little bit more just because I actually spoke with my oncologist. Cause I was like, when would you do surgery? Cause in my practice, like it's, if you suspect lymphoma, surgery is a huge no, no. But when I was like reading up on it, it was like, so we, if we can't obtain a diagnosis from aspirates of either the intestinal walls, the lymphoma them, or the lymph nodes themselves of the like 
abdominal cavity, the peripheral blood sometimes, or the spleen Mm -hmm. or the liver, Mm -hmm. since we've gotten it that way, any aspirates of any form, then like they recommended like either endoscopic biopsies or surgical biopsies. And of course, like Mm -hmm. I know in endoscopic procedures, sometimes you just can't get deep enough to really get like a true sample. Yeah. I was going to say, you can't get the full thickness. Mm -hmm. And that's what's like recommended. But when I talked to my oncologist about it, so, and I unless it's like obstructive or something's bleeding, we don't, we don't recommend surgery for something that's suspected to be lymphoma. So the one that we saw Mm -hmm. that came back today with a perforated bowel that has lymphoma, we recommended surgery because the dog's eating, but has a perforated bowel. Like the dog feels pretty good. So I guess it's based on like case by case, but according to my oncologist, he just doesn't recommend it. I was going to say with our doctors, we do the, we don't, we don't say surgical biopsies first no. we say endoscopy yeah but surgical biopsies are usually recommended if there's other stuff that they yeah. that they're worried about yeah like we've done a splenectomy before and diagnosed mm-hmm. lymphoma well not we but we've referred there's a dog mm-hmm. that this dog is actually doing great by the way and she's probably a year out from her, her diagnosis and she nice. she had a cholecystectomy and then like in turn like also had a splenectomy i don't remember exactly like all the details, but I remember she had her Mm. gallbladder removed and then she had her spleen removed and her spleen came back as lymphoma. The gallbladder was just kind of incidental. The gallbladder was like, Hey, there's something wrong with my body. I'm going to get angry and obstruct and make the dog turn yellow. So you guys have to cut me. And the dog's doing great now. And it's been like I said, a year. That's crazy. Her name's Sugar Britches. She's like the best. (laughs) Yeah. And the people are the best too. But yeah, I talked to my oncologist about it and he was, so for him, just because like to try to get true exploratory biopsies, like it delays starting chemotherapy until after recovery. And it doesn't mm-hmm. actually like extend the prognosis. If you were to like say, remove the spleen, if, if there's lymphoma in the spleen. Hmm. Interesting. Cause I was like, I was asking him, I was like, what book is this in? And then he just gave me his opinion. So I was like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. We've also done, we've done laparoscopic oh, cool. full thickness biopsies. Uh, we have a couple of surgeons that will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's the healing from that is much shorter, shorter yeah. and less risky than, you know, a, a true like X lap. Yeah. And then, and then surgical biopsies. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be interesting. I, it seems though, like at least in our line that like, there's so many ways to obtain a diagnosis of this with just like mm. a lot of aspirates that you don't have to cut a dog and make a dog or a cat go through that kind of recovery or surgery, which is nice. So yeah, sometimes diagnosis is super easy. Um, and so diagnosis can be made, like we said, either on cytology or a true histopath of the affected organ system. And then kind of like we talked about trying to differentiate between like B cell and T cell lymphomas can provide some information just regarding prognosis. I'm not going to get into that because that is not my realm. And if I start trying to dive into like <laughs> the prognosis of T cell versus B cell lymphoma and large cell versus small cell, like I, I'll just be spewing Our words that I don't know. <laughs> they'll, they'll get mad at us. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, we should, we should invite them on at some point and uh, see if they can give us a 
rundown on some of the the onco part of it because it, it, we do work so closely with oncology. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, we'll get advice from them. So like sometimes our site, like our cytology samples just come back like probably, mm. but you should do just a little bit more. So there are other tests out there that I kind of threw in here. We do mm -hmm. a lot of like flow cytometry or PAR, P-A-R-R, -R, which stands for polyamorase chain reaction. I remember that because yeah. it was a word that I had to teach my students. <laughs> <laughs> so PCR for antigen receptor rearrangement. Um, so basically they're looking, because I, I asked one of my oncologists about this because I was like, what the heck is PAR? So basically, so when we're talking about cells reproducing themselves, there is a little bit of genetic mutation that happens that like that's just that's just normal life that's why that's why we have different looking people and animals and stuff like that so what happens with the par is they look at it and all of a sudden they have the same exact like genetic makeup and it and it, it's just not supposed to be like that and so the higher you have of these I think it's like the mitotic index yeah. and stuff is what they were talking about as well. So it's, it's really, it's interesting. It's, it's not my field of expertise, but it was interesting to kind of talk to them about, you know, looking at the DNA of these cells and, and knowing and understanding why they're mutated and be, and become cancerous because really that's what it is, is when your cells mutate yeah. and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's what we call cancer yeah and and i know that test so it can like it differentiates like lymphocyte expansion so that's when like the lymphocytes get big and then we like when we see it on a smear like we just say it's lymphoma but sometimes it's not as straightforward right. um so it, it can kind of differentiate between like cancer lymphoma versus just like reactive lymphocytes which can also just get big from reacting to something that pissed it off and like <laughs> like infection yeah. or inflammation or like yeah. IBD and yeah. stuff. So yeah, we, mm -hmm. and we, so what we do is like, we'll obtain samples and we'll kind of keep some slides back just in case of some of our samples come back of like, we recommend you do this. And then we'll send it to like, we use CSU a lot for our flow cytometry and our PAR tests. Mm. We're, so, yeah. we're pretty fortunate. We use um, VDX, which is, I think it's veterinary diagnostic lab. Anyways, it's VDX. It's based out of Davis. Oh, nice. So I believe people that used to work at UC Davis like started this. Yeah. So we send most of our samples there for cytology and biopsy. Oh, nice. And they they submit for PAR too. Oh, um, that's nice. Which is frustrating because sometimes they're like, ah, blah, 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 recommend PAR. And we're like, you recommend PAR on everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, just give us your opinion. But, yeah. you know, I get it. It totally makes sense. It's, it's a diagnostic tool that's a little bit more accurate than a person's experience and years of training looking at something. You know, if you have PAR and it gives you a number and all that stuff, I, I get why they recommend it. Yeah, exactly. And then kind of rolling into our treatment again, I'm not going to go too far into this because again, <laughs> not my realm. The only time it's my realm is when like clients are like, I really don't want to seek oncology. What can we do instead? And in those cases, we'll do like prednisolone and chloramicil mm -hmm. and just monitor the patient. We check CBCs yeah, I was, because- I was going to say for cats, it's prednisolone instead of prednisone mm -hmm. because- you know, the theory is that they don't convert the prednisone into prednisolone as easily. Mm -hmm. So we do prednisolone 
and then chlorambucil or lucaran mm -hmm. super common yeah and and with those medications ooh. in my opinion with any like chemotherapy like chemotherapy drug like a cbc should be checked pretty frequently because it can suppress mm -hmm. the bone marrow and so what you're checking you're looking mm -hmm. to see if those white blood cells are low and again your oncology text can tell you all about this because if it's low they're likely not gonna like give a dose of chemotherapy um mm -hmm. so we will like if we're using chlorambucil then we'll adjust the dose like if we see that the white blood cells are trending downwards so we we can do that I, again not our realm and it doesn't actually occur very frequently a lot of people who see yeah. us are willing to see oncology <laughs> yeah we have a we have a couple of and so some of the most common chemotherapy drugs that i found again if someone works in oncology and wants to correct me on this please feel free because i read this in a book um so <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these therapies are used in combination so vincristine doxyrubicin cyclophosphamide um elspar i'm just going to shorten that and then of course pred like we kind of talked yeah. about and then sometimes people i know i'm not really sure what the the circumstances of this were but I know our oncologist has like recommended radiation, but I think that's with like mm. nasal lymphoma. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the only time I've seen it recommended is nasal. nasal yeah. Lymphoma. That's what I thought too. But I just, yeah, I think when it comes to the client communication aspect, I got to admit that like a lot of this communication comes from the doctors. Yeah. Like I don't do, especially the initial diagnostics, prognostics, all that stuff. I mean, that, that really is the doctor communication. Yeah, That's a doctor's job. Um, like we're yeah. not allowed to do that. And <laughs> no, no. And so, you know, knowing what kind of lymphoma kind of helps guide the doctors as far as what treatment plans have worked historically better yeah that's why you know if, if you if you work around oncology and you kind of listen to them peripherally mm -hmm. you, know, you kind of hear them they talk about oh yeah we're doing like the madison wisconsin protocol or we're doing this other protocol or oh we failed this protocol so we're switching to another protocol that's all just like what drug how frequent you know what are we monitoring for so it's it's a protocol that they've seemed to know works for this specific cancer. And so that's, that's why the oncologists, you know, it is very specialized. Yeah. Um, and that is their, that is their bread and butter. <laughs> like They know about that stuff and it's important because they do a ton of communication yeah. with, with clients. Exactly. Um, I know even my oncology texts, like they're so much communication Yeah, yeah. with their, with their clients. This is more of like, so I'll get the question of like, well, how do patients do with chemo? And it honestly, like in my opinion, from what I've seen kind of on the sideline, once it gets turfed to oncology, that seemed to do pretty well. Like yeah. it doesn't seem like I'm, sh of course there's those cases like my dog who couldn't walk, like where yeah. it's just not going to help. But they, they don't have that psychosomatic part of it where it's like, I have cancer. Like they don't, they don't know they have cancer. Yeah, exactly. So it takes that part out of the equation. Most of them don't lose hair like people yeah, do. Yeah, I get that question um, a lot. Like, well, I don't want my dog yeah, to go through that. That's like, huge. Feeling like crap and like losing hair and like, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that's not, it's not really yeah. like super common. But again, just go discuss. Like, my job, I think, with these cases, is to make clients feel comfortable seeking on on oncology consult to really like just yeah. get there. Like, that's who's gonna really 
just be there. They're going to tell factor. you what options you have exactly. and explain to you what the options are, you know, how long the average survival time is with whatever treatment plan, whether it's surgery or just, you know, oral medications at home versus injectable medications in the hospital. So yeah, I definitely, you know, we talk to them too about the benefit of seeing an oncologist. Yeah. And, and just because you see an oncologist doesn't mean you have to start chemotherapy. No, definitely. It just means that you get more information, got that information to, like to make a decision. The decision. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so again, from what I'm reading in some books, it looks like the expected survival time for dogs with B cell lymphoma is about 12 months. And that's with combination chemotherapy. Um, whereas dogs mm -hmm. with T cell lymphoma expected survival times are often in the range of about six months according to my studies. It's going to be my quote for like the end of this episode. The vast majority of dogs will ultimately relapse, which I actually found pretty interesting and pretty sad because like, I know some of my lymphoma patients and I'm like, please don't. <laughs> like, I love yeah. you. And like when they graduate, I'm like so happy. I don't want them to relapse. And then kind of like we briefly already discussed inform your clients that yeah rechecking a cbc and ultrasound just to remeasure those lymph nodes and just to monitor for bone marrow suppression is pretty important in these patients um, yeah especially if you're starting meds which you should every every lymphoma <laughs> pet should be on pred before they die <laughs> like and then most of the times like our our onco patients they'll get the um anti-nausea anti-diarrheal yeah. medication recommendations in case they have it or you know the appetite stimulate in case they have it but you know these these kids with gi lymphoma they've already felt crappy for a mm -hmm. long time so if the protocol works for them a lot of times they feel way better oh i know and i've had clients tell me oh my god i got my pet back I, my cat's eating oh my gosh it's gained weight for the first time in oh yeah we a year we've done a lot right? of these and, and i think we've we talked about this like where we've done our endoscopic procedures and we're like, don't start steroids and before our procedure. And then we'll start them like the day mm -hmm. of the procedure. Right. Inject and we'll them and send like, them home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they like, we'll call to check up on them and they're like, they're feeling so much better. What did you guys do? And I'm like, steroids. <laughs> you're like, yep, we did an anti-inflammatory. Yeah, yeah. By the way, here's what your cytology says. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which I lied. That is not my job. I don't tell people what their cytology is unless it's good news. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> very good point. Yeah. So then a couple of cautions for these cases. I found this pretty interesting where failure to achieve remission and then diarrhea upon presentation are actually poor prognostic indicators, which I'm not certain about the diarrhea thing. Cause I'm kind of like, you know how many have come in for diarrhea? <laughs> like Come in with diarrhea. Yeah. So apparently that's a, huh. according to a book, but I mean, I get, I mean, I, I guess it, it makes sense because that means that they're already having functional problems yeah. of their and absorption guts. problems. Yeah. And I'm obviously <laughs> like, if they don't achieve remission, then yeah, that's going to be a poor prognostic indicator. What? If you don't <laughs> achieve remission? What? Yeah, exactly. Thanks book <laughs> for that. It was super helpful. In case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> if you didn't know, if you don't get into remission, you might die of the cancer. <laughs> and then turns out colonic <laughs> lymphoma actually has a better outcome than gastric or uh, jejunal lymphoma, which I suppose mm. I, I can agree with like, we've seen stomach lymphoma mm. 
and those pets don't do well like which yeah could you imagine oh on the Mm post-op thing like the surgery thing i just wrote down remember post-op patients are prone to infection after like just due to like immunosuppression usually these patients have some form of immunosuppression because their body's trying to fight something else yeah i was gonna say infection and dehiscence and all sorts of bad stuff it's the tip of the week so uh, the tip of the week is is we kind of are pigging like piggybacking this onto the previous episodes remember to make sure to test and get your diagnosis prior to treatment so pred if you're giving pred prior to actually diagnosing lymphoma it's going to be harder to actually find it um and the other part of that is cancer can do whatever it wants right Mm -hmm. so uh, we can find it in a variety of locations, but but this week we were talking about intestinal lymphoma, but it can be in a variety of locations. So um, just a reminder on that part. And now for the question of the week. So our question of the week is going to be, tell us your most interesting lymphoma case. I know I have mine. I shared my story, <laughs> um, but I would love to hear everybody else's. So if you want to leave us a comment at imfpp.org slash episode 15 or just under the imfpp.org slash show notes page and look for episode 15 or the Facebook podcast group which is our internal medicine for vet techs podcast group on Facebook if you haven't joined yet please do answer the questions we'll try to also on in the Facebook group we started doing the question of the week so take a look for that uh, post and we'll, we'll make sure to get that up so I think that kind of wraps up our intestinal lymphoma. It does. Episode. <sighs> okay. Right. A lot of stuff and, and hopefully. Seek oncology <laughs> consults. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. I take it back. Tip of the week is go to your oncologist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think maybe that should be it. Tip of the week. Go to your oncologist. Yeah. So they're like, what a great episode. You guys talked about going to see an oncologist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you as always for listening. Yeah, we we're super excited you're you're still with us. And then I believe next week we kind of did this a little bit backwards. We talked lymphoma first. We're gonna talk about IBD, so inflammatory bowel disease next week. Because that's usually the the two that you're trying to rule out is, is it GI lymphoma or is it inflammatory bowel disease? So we're going to talk about that next week in the episode. Um, And then definitely um, let us know if you need anything, send us an email um, at podcast at internalmedicineforvettechs.com and and let us know what's up. And um, I think that's it. Anything else you've got, Jordan? Nope, that's it. Thanks again for listening. As always, we enjoy hearing from everybody. So let us know what you like, what you don't like. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.